0: This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. How does victim mentality attract a certain person into your life or thoughts or things like that? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: It's the law of attraction. So whatever you are being you are attracting so whenever you're aligned with fear in a place like I was and I was being the victim I was attracting more opportunity to be the victim right and until you grow out of that mentality you're not able to attract anything else seek out the help that you need your friends and your family they love you and they are there for you and they're there to help you and You can get help, but you need to change your mindset. You have to change from being the victim to the survivor.
0: This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Terry Ludwig. You are a certified life coach with a mission to empower people to face their fears, and step into their power to master their mindset and create the life of their dreams, just as you did. On your LinkedIn profile, you say, be happy every day living the life you love. Terry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Roger. It's great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We've uh, been trying to do this for a long time. Um, I've actually had several people ask me over probably the course of a year or more, if we could have you on. So I'm really happy to do this. We're living in a new normal right now, as we talked about offline. You're down in sunny Florida and I'm in your hometown, both of our hometowns, Binghamton, New York. And um, yeah, thanks Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Roger. It's, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much.
0: So let's start with Binghamton. Let's talk about your background. Let's talk about the place you grew up, uh, your, your, your home, and what it was like, and um, really maybe some lessons you might have learned from that time to, and then we'll progress through your story.
1: Great. Sounds good. Well, as you know, I was born and raised in Binghamton. I was born at Lord's Hospital. And, you know, as a child, I remember always asking why, you know, why were things a certain way? I was I remember my mother used to say, you know, gosh, you used to drive me crazy, always asking why this, why that? And I think it was just part of me trying to understand the purpose, the meaning of, of all of it. Uh, so growing up, I remember having a loving childhood. Both of my parents worked at Singer Link at the time. Um, my mother ended up stopping work to stay at home to raise my younger brother and my older sister and myself and you know i i had a pretty happy early childhood but then things all changed abruptly when my parents started going through some marital problems and eventually my father moved out there was a lot of fighting in the house and i remember a lot of really scary times you know as a young child and i remember the three of us would be in a room and my mother would close the door and tell us not to come out and then we would hear all kinds of screaming and breaking of glass going on in, in the rest of the house. And, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And, you know, eventually we would come out and there would just be a disaster area. And um, and my father ended up, you know, moving out. And my mother was a single parent for quite a long time trying to raise us. But then eventually they worked their, their problems out and he was going to move back in. And strange. um, He ended up going to work one day and died unexpectedly of a heart attack. And I I was 11. um, My brother, you know, two years younger, my sister two years older. And at that time, my mother fell into this deep depression. Um, She looked to alcohol to help to make her feel better, feel safe. And that was the way it was for most of my life. Started in my you know, early childhood and all the way up through to my adult life. Um, I think she also probably suffered from some type of bipolar disorder, too. But, of course, back then, you know, we didn't know much about that. So as children, you know, our early domestication experience was where we developed our first sense of self. And, you know, for me, it was I'm afraid I'm not safe. And, you know, we learn to kind of grow up trying to do the best we could to be good or maybe make ourselves invisible so that we wouldn't provoke, you know, my mother in any way um, to kind of avoid her wrath and and to keep ourselves safe. So I I think a lot of people don't understand the type of effect that early domestication has on, on you and how it's really the start of your story. It's really the start of creating your story. And your story then plays into how you show up in the world, right? So, I'm, I mean, my first babysitting job was where I started making money. And after that, at age 14, I started selling Avon. You know, I would go door to door. Of course, you weren't really supposed to be working at that age, so I had to do a little lying on my application and say I was really old enough to work, but, um, I, you know, I really needed the money to buy my own clothes and things because at that time my mother just wasn't, wasn't really able to take care of us as a parent because of everything that, you know, she was going through. So, um, you know, so our, the three of us kind of raised ourselves. Wow.
0: And didn't you move out, uh, at a, at a pretty young age?
1: I did. Um, you know, At that time, when I started making money, my mother wanted me to start paying her rent. And I thought, well, I could probably take care of myself better in a better environment if I moved out and got my own apartment. So that's what I did. I declared myself an independent minor. And I moved out and started the journey to knowing myself, really, at that age. And I was trying to figure out who I was. I was still in high school. So I would write my own absent notes, and I, I don't think that most of my teachers probably didn't know I had my own apartment at the time. Um, but you know, I was I was doing pretty well in school. I was on the varsity volleyball team, and I was on the varsity softball team. So I was involved in coach in in a lot of um, sports, and I had great coaches. And throughout my senior year, I was in what they had what's called a co-op program at the time, and I worked for IBM um, as a co-op. I worked for Security Mutual as a co-op. So you know, I learned to start supporting myself. I also loved to draw. So I always went to my art classes and I had a lot of support from my art teachers at the time too. Um, luckily, my teachers had a little bit of idea of what was going on in my life. So they did everything they could to try to help me. And um, my my fashion illustration teacher at the time, Anne Greiner, um, did everything she could do to get a scholarship for me so I could get out and get to a better place. And she did. I actually got a four-year paid scholarship to Trap Hagen Design School in Manhattan. Um, And at the same time, my volleyball coach, Neva Miller, who was amazing, um, was trying to encourage me to get out and attend college. So she had Been in conversations with some of the people at Penn State, and she said that I pretty much had a secured spot on their volleyball team. So I had people who were really in my corner and really helping me to, you know, get out. But there was there was still so much unknown, like how how was I supposed to get to New York City? How was I going to support myself? I had never been out of Binghamton, you know, and Binghamton, you know, was such a small place that the thought of going anywhere to me was terrifying. And, of course, I still had my backstory playing in my mind. I'm afraid and I'm not safe. So um, even though those opportunities were amazing, I was too afraid to take them at the time. So I stayed small, played it safe, went to Broome Community College when I graduated, which was awesome. I mean, Broome is a great, great college. And it was a good start. Um, Took business administration and, um, and, that's, and that's what I did. So, um, but at the same time um, that I was in high school and and doing all of this, trying to do everything that I could, I'd also attracted an abusive relationship into my life. And, um, you know, I was trying to do everything I could to be a good student and be a good girlfriend and be a good person, still believing that if I made everyone else around me happy, that I would be safe. But you know, that's not really how it works. And I didn't find that out till much later in my life. Um, and it turned out that relationships really have been my life's greatest lessons. Wow.
0: Amazing. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, you've, you were a go-getter. Um, not only did you move out of the home, but you were supporting yourself. You were still going to school. Um, you know sometimes you hear stories of people that, that move out and go the other way, right? Um, it sounds like right you, sure. You had a lot inside you. Uh, you were motivated uh, maybe a young entrepreneur at uh, the time you had your artwork some right. wonderful things. Uh, you have the opportunities, right. scholarships that was all great. So what were some of the lessons uh, of, of that time that maybe some a takeaway or two? Um, and it could be a, a lesson of good or or a lesson of something you know not so good, maybe to help someone who's listening now who might be in that situation
1: right well, well, I would say that at that time in my life, I was still operating on that story that I was afraid and i wasn 't safe, and whenever you 're aligned with that place of fear, you become a victim, right, So I had the victim mentality which then attracted an abusive relationship.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, can you can you talk about that? Because people hear those words. I even hear those words a lot, but do we actually know what that means? So how does victim mentality attract a certain person into your life or thoughts or things like that? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Right. Okay. So the way life works is it's the law of attraction. So whatever you are being you are attracting. So whenever you're aligned with fear in a place like I was, and I was being the victim, I was attracting more opportunity to be the victim, right? And until you grow out of that mentality, you're not able to attract anything else. And, um, and it was interesting too, because at the time, and I was in this relationship for several years, um, I had this girlfriend that I would go and visit. It was one of the only girlfriends I was allowed to visit because when you're in this kind of relationship, there's a lot of control from the abusive partner. You know, they, they limit your exposure to people. They only allow you to be friends with people that they would consider are safe. Um, I, this, you know, person would show up at my job to make sure I wasn't talking to other people. If I, if I walked down the street and I looked up, I was accused of looking at other, you know, male people. So I used to literally walk down the street with my head down because I was afraid that I would be, you know, punished for looking at someone in the wrong way. And again, it goes back to that whole victim mentality. I really became the victim. And I would have this girlfriend that I would go and I would have coffee with and it was like my escape. So I would have coffee with my girlfriend and I would tell her everything that was going on in my relationship. And it was such a a load off of my shoulders, really, to be able to unload um, my experiences. And she would listen and listen and listen and feel bad for me. And, And it would just feel better to be able to share that. She was, you know, really taking some of my pain from me. And then one day I went to visit with her. And before we even started talking, and trust me, I was, like, ready to unload. I had, like, a whole week of, like, stuff that I wanted to share with her. And, like, oh, my gosh, and he did this and did that. And, and um, I, I just couldn't wait for our conversation to start. So she poured our coffee, and she said, look, you can come here anytime you want, and you can have coffee. We can share conversations. She said, but I just I can't hear about the abuse anymore. She said, it's too hurtful for me. And I, I can't hear it anymore. So we can talk about anything else. We can talk about what makes you happy. We can talk about anything else that's going on in your life, but we can't talk about that. And I, first I was upset with her because I thought, boy, you know, that's not being very good friend to, to not want to help me right now. And then I searched my mind for what else we could talk about. And there was nothing else. There was nothing else in my life to talk about except being in this abusive relationship. And I left that situation, that that conversation with my girlfriend, feeling angry, feeling confused, but I realized she was really enabling me. Mm -hmm. And if no one was going to care that I was a victim, what was the point? of staying in this relationship. So I have to give her a lot of credit. She was really very important for me to empowering me to get out of that mentality, the victim mentality. And that was probably the first step I took to saying, hmm, maybe I need to change my situation. If no one wants to listen to me and no one cares what's happening to me, I need to get myself out of it.
0: Wow, that's powerful. And do you, do you think she was, I think about that conversation, like before that, do you think she just said, I haven't, I had enough, or do, did you ever ask her like why she did that? Did she talk you to get to get advice?
1: I, I don't know. And we've not had that conversation. It would be an interesting conversation no. to have. Um, but I, I, I just know the effect it had on me at that time. And, um, and I remember actually even feeling almost dizzy when I left because I was, so disoriented from not being able to share, you know, what had happened that I had to kind of recenter myself. And um, it was, it was an interesting time.
0: So from that moment forward, was it a struggle to get out of it or did that, was that the start of the help you needed to get out of it?
1: Yeah, it was the start to change my mindset. And that's where everything starts. So once I changed my mindset um it was it was a struggle to get out of it. Um, you know, I had to think of a plan, I had to think of who who could help me because up to that point, I had cut off my relationships that's part of being in an abusive relationship is you sever all your ties to your friends, to your family, and you're really just alone with the person that is the abuser, and you know that's part of their control, but it's also part of your becoming the victim, right? So I had to start rebuilding those connections and going back to those people who tried to help me before, but I refused their help because, you know, I thought, well, I can change this person. I can, you know, I can, you know, help this person because that's also part of being the victim is you see the hurt in the person and you want to help them, but really you're not helping either. You're enabling. And finally, I had to realize that being the victim of an abusive relationship, you're actually an enabler. You cannot help the abuser to stop. You have to take yourself out of the, um, of the whole equation so that the abuser can get the help that they need.
0: So when how hard was that to actually remove yourself? And once you did it, you must have had such a weight lifted off of you.
1: It it was very difficult, um, and it took the help of a lot of friends, a lot of family, um, even took the help of some law enforcement people to be involved time and time and time again. So, um, you know, for anybody out there who is struggling in that situation and is in an abusive relationship, I would say please just seek out the help that you need. Your friends and your family, they love you. And they are there for you, and they're there to help you and you can get help, but you need to change your mindset. you have to change from being the victim to the survivor because that's the next step um, you know it took me several years several months to get out of the relationship, and it almost lasted for a whole year until I was actually clean and clear of the relationship but um, it's a long story that i've I've shared many times with people and valuable lessons being the victim right because you learn the power of forgiveness you learn the power of gratitude for so many people who are there to help you and you know and this story actually has a very happy ending because the person i was in the relationship with has now gone on to do amazing things with his life i have actually come to the place where i have completely forgiven him and you know actually come to the place where i have gratitude for all the lessons that I've learned in that relationship. And, you know, the realization that love just gets bigger. You know, when you love until you hurt, like Mother Teresa says, there is no, no hurt. There's only more love. Wow. And, uh, and that, that really is true, and it's very powerful. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. But you have to understand the difference between love coming from a place of need and love coming, coming from a place of being filled and able to share your love. So I think a lot of people get confused when they enter relationships. They they feel like they're entering relationships out of love, but they really are entering a relationship because they have a gaping hole that they think the other person is filling. And that's not love at all. That's That's coming from a place of lack. It's coming from a place of fear and coming from a place of need. And trust me, I have had many more relationships after that one out of that, coming from that place of lack and not coming from that place of being filled because I only went from being a victim to a survivor. So there's still a couple of more steps in between that had to happen before I was able to come from that place of truly being filled.
0: Interesting, because my next question was going to be once once you got out of the situation, did you feel like, okay, I've... I've conquered this, I can move on, I could, you know, get into a better relationship. But it sounds like this is something that just has to happen. Or can maybe we should talk about the next step first, like what happened next? And, and how did you eventually, you know, find that fulfilled love that you're talking about?
1: Right, right. So that's a great question, Roger. And, you know, it, it seems to be my life's lessons have come to me in the form of relationships, in in the form of love relationships in particular. So as I continued, and now I was in this place of surviving, I had a lot of friends that were helping me and um, and and they really rallied around me to support me and to be there for me. And it was a fun fun time. And I did attract a relationship, and um, it was a, a young man who had just, um, was in his senior year at um, Rochester Institute of Technology. Great guy and I really felt like I had met my savior, right? So um, the first time in my life I, I felt safe, like truly safe since I was a young child back when my story was I'm afraid and I'm not safe. So this person came into my life, I felt safe, right? And I felt safe because he was my savior not because I felt safe in here, right? And then I promised myself I would never do anything to hurt myself again. And I, I moved from that victim mode into being a survivor and being safe. And with this new sense of security, you know, I started finding my voice and making my choices for happiness. Um, I was working at the time, I was going to, to Broome Community College. I was working at the time for a local kitchen and bath dealership as their bookkeeper because I had gone to Broome. For business, um, and then they realized that I had an art background, so they started training me as an apprentice to design kitchens and baths and I really enjoyed that, and you know, as my confidence grew, um, I realized that even though I enjoyed what I was doing, there wasn't a lot of possibility for movement and advancement in this job because it was a family owned business, and I was kind of capped and back then, you know. This was the early 80s. You know, women weren't really respected as much then as they are now. There were a lot of things that happened in the workplace that weren't okay. Um, and luckily, a lot of that came out, you know, later and, and now. But but back then, you know, you kind of had to just show up strong and do whatever you could to get through it as a woman. Um, so I decided to make a better choice for myself and started to uh, look for a job elsewhere. And I found a job at a local athletic club. And I was hired as the office manager. And I loved it there, absolutely loved my job. Um, And the people I worked with, we became family because it was a new business we would start early, early in the morning and we would go until 11 o'clock at night because it was just, you know, the excitement of getting this new business up and running. And I was the office manager. I had a lot more responsibility and I was designing a lot of the office programs. And it was just so exciting. It was, it was so much fun. And, um, and as I was there and working and working at all the club events and, Um, you know, I had married the man that I had dated from, from Rochester. We had gotten married and, you know, I was ready to, you know, live this life of just being happy. And here I was going about my way at work and I realized I had fallen in love with my coworker and I didn't see it coming. And I had become that person that I loathed because here I had promised my love to this man who was my savior, right? He really got me out of such a horrible situation in my life. And, and I had been that person that I didn't want to be. And, and I realized I was with him because he made me feel safe, but I was also realizing that I just didn't have that chemistry, that love for him. And now that I wasn't afraid anymore, the relationship, the meaning kind of changed. and. It was really upsetting to me. And, you know, we we went through some marriage counseling together to try to figure it out, and um, I began intense soul searching. I started visiting various religious organizations and trying to find more meaning of life and why. Why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why don't I feel like I'm in love with the man that I married anymore? And I remember sitting down with um, my my then husband, and I said, you know, I have these feelings for someone at work, and I I don't know why, and he said, well, it's understandable. You have a crush on him, and you'll get over it, and I remember looking at him and saying, but I don't want to get over it, you know, and that was hard, and it was sad, because, you know, there was so much I was struggling with, these feelings and these emotions, and And so we separated for a while and we, you know, tried to give each other space so I could figure it out. And I remember thinking, well, if it's not this person, then it's probably going to be somebody else that I'm going to have these feelings for. And I I just don't feel like I can go back into the relationship that I was in. I just, I feel like it had come to its fruition. It had served its purpose almost. And even though we'd only been married for almost a year, I just didn't see a future in it. And, and so we, we sat down and we talked and we had a really good uh, relationship. We were able to have a great conversation about it. And we both agreed to go our separate ways and that we would always be there for each other. And that, you know, the important thing was that we both were happy in the end. So that's what we did. We ended up separating and I left my comfort zone. So that was really scary at that time.
0: Wow. So, I mean, we have to continue with the story because now, and and I've known you for many years, and I, I've never knew any of this. So it's it's right. just, and and I think a lot of people could relate, right? This is what your sure. story is very relatable to a lot of people. A lot of, you know, I could think of my own friends that have gone through very similar things. Um, but I know you talk about uh, what you call the Cinderella story too. So right. I'd love to be able to you know get there. So so what happens next?
1: So. Of course, the coworker that I had was like my prince charming. I mean, he was handsome, charismatic. He was charming, and I was so excited to start a relationship with him. Um, but I was also afraid. I remember sitting down on my a porch with my sister, and um, and we sat and we talked. And I said, "You know, I'm excited, but I'm terrified." And she said, "Why? Why are you afraid?" I said. I don't know. I just have this feeling that he's just going to break my heart into little pieces someday. And she said, you can't think like that. You just have to live for today because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. So I decided to jump out of my comfort zone and take this leap of faith and we started dating. And of course, we had already been friends for over a year and had known each other because we had worked so closely together for so long that it just felt natural. Things progressed very quickly. And we, after a couple of years, we got married. You know, I fell head over heels in love with him and we got married. And I really felt like my, my life was a dream. I felt like I was living the Cinderella story. And I thought, you know what? I'm on my way to living happily ever after. This is it. This is how it works. And, you know, of course, all of the stories I had heard as a young girl, as Cinderella, she meets her Prince Charming, they get married and they live happily ever after, right? You don't see the rest of the story, right? The story ends there. So here I was, you know, going down this happily ever after story. And at the same time, my spiritual journey had begun and a friend had given me my first spiritual book and it was a book that was written by Ruth Montgomery and the name of the book was search for the truth and she was the press secretary at the time for the United States government and she was sent out to kind of blow the cover off of all of these seances and all the mediums that were out there because she was very well respected and she had to go and you know do all of this research and it ended up in the very end, you know, she had to choose her job or the truth. And she was going to choose her job. And she thought, well, I, I have to keep my job. So I'm going to kind of slant the story towards it's all, you know, kind of a bunch of woohoo and and not true. So she picked up her pen and she got ready to write the story. And all of a sudden she started doing automatic writings. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's when... um a, a medium or a spirit comes through you and begins using your hand to write the story. And as she was doing the writing, the voice introduced itself to her and said, you can't write this story because this is true. I mean, this this is real, that there is something bigger out there than what you think is out there. I have the chill. And I was, I read the, pardon me?
0: I have the chills.
1: I know, right? And, and reading the book was so intriguing and so exciting to me. That I ended up reading the whole book in one weekend, wow. and um, I gave the book back to my friend, and he gave me another one as if he knew that you know the next one was coming, and and that's when it started, and I have just been a voracious reader of all kinds of spiritual um, books ever since.
0: Wow, now yeah. that kind of leads into the next piece of of uh, what I believe is your story, and that's what you refer to as your waking up the time where you awoke to right. to your reality and how long after this, this time, you know, not when when you're introduced to the book, did it take, um, before you realize that, okay, maybe what I thought before it isn't even the reality that I should be living or that I am living.
1: Right, right. So, you know, again, Years go by, a couple of years, um, I was at the club, I reached my corporate ceiling at, at, at the athletic club and decided to further my career in interior design. So I went back to the interior design field and I became pregnant with our first child. And as my belly changed, so did our marriage. And my fairy tale started slipping away. But my life became way too busy to worry about it. You know, as a new parent, I wasn't getting very much sleep. My daughter didn't sleep very much. Um, A routine kicked in and I fell back into doing what I always did. And that was making doing my best to make everyone around me happy. So I could keep myself safe because now I was vulnerable. I had a child. Um, and then within a couple of years, I was pregnant again with my second child. And that's when I received a copy of a book called A Course in Miracles in the mail. And it was wrapped in a paper bag, and it had a sticky note on it. And it was from my brother's ex-boyfriend, Scott. And it said, I think you will need this with everything that you'll be going through in life. Love, Scott. And that was it. Now, Scott and my brother had been through a share of their life's lessons. Um, you know, my brother was gay, and coming out in the early 80s in a conservative town, as you know, um, or anywhere really, wasn't easy. And not to mention that the AIDS epi- ep- epidemic was about to explode at that time. So, again, that's a whole separate story um, of of things that I learned from him and our connection. but. I began thumbing through this book, A Course in Miracles, and, you know, it had um, a workbook for students, it had the text, and it had this thing called the Manual for Teachers. And as I began reading it, the text was written very biblically, and I I couldn't really find my place in religion, so I wasn't resonating with the text. Um, The lessons were interesting, but they were kind of out there, so I, I kind of skipped through the lessons, too. And I started reading the end of the book, which was called The Manual for Teachers, and that just grabbed me. There was something about it that just, for the first time, has, had resonated with the truth inside of me, right? Not out there. Something inside of me was starting to wake up. And as I continued to read it, I realized that something inside of me was changing. And I felt like, I really felt like I was waking up for the first time. And there were times when I would put it down and walk away because I thought it's just trying to brainwash me. And I knew something inside of me was changing, but it was also scary because it meant that I was living a lie. You know, I was trying to make everybody around me happy, but I wasn't really doing what I needed to do to make myself happy. And if I was going to turn that around and make myself happy, I was afraid of what was going to happen out here. I was afraid that everything out here might go away. And and that was really terrifying to me. But the funny thing is, once you know the truth, you can't go back. Right?
0: That's right. Wow. So
1: I, I kept getting pulled into this direction. And the more I learned, it felt like the more my soul remembered. And the more I was drawn to it. And soon I began teaching and facilitating a course in Miracle Study Group. And my life just began to change in miraculous ways. Yeah, really.
0: So how did that affect your marriage at the time? Now you have two children.
1: Right. Good question, right? Well, Einstein says there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle and the other is as though everything is a miracle, right? So after 10 years of marriage, it was a hard decision to make, but I went from being a survivor now to the warrior
0: Hmm.
1: and I had to choose for my own happiness. Right. And, and that was a tough choice to make. And you know, my husband, my then husband and I talked a lot about it, and we realized that our lives were just growing in separate directions. And no matter how hard we tried to figure out how they would fit together, they just weren't going to fit together anymore. So, the best way we could support and love each other was to allow each other to walk our own paths. Wow.
0: And, Tough decision. Um, and I think a decision that a lot of people want to make but don't have. The confidence or the wherewithal to do it, right? And, right. They, and they stay yeah. in that, and they stay in that relationship, which could be toxic toxic for both sides.
1: Exactly, and the- exactly. And and it is it's a tough decision to make because you know it disrupts the children, and again, it brings you into that place that's beyond your comfort zone, you know, change that scary place that none of us like to be because we don't know what's going to happen next, right? But, you know, I call it the shaking of the tree. You know, when, when we're in a relationship or a job that's not right for us,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the tree starts to shake and you grab on a little tighter, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you you hold on, you're like, maybe I'll climb up a little bit higher, I'll find a a safer spot to be in. And the tree starts to shake again. And you're like, I'm going to climb up a little higher, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like the tree starts shaking so much that you have to let go. You either have to climb down or you're going to be thrown off.
0: Wow, that's a great analogy. And I know a lot of people could relate to that. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so... (laughs) Now, where do we go? So, so um, the, your, your marriage is separated now and, and that ends. Um, now what happens? Cause you're also just went through this awakening, right? Right. So Exactly. But, but was there any, you know, low point in, in all this or, or was it all up from there?
1: Well, no, there were still a lot of low points, you know, after that, but I was still growing. You know, I had gone from the victim to the survivor to the warrior. And, and remember, we're talking about the law of attraction. So I'm showing up as a warrior. What am I going to attract? Warrior. War. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I have to have something to fight.
0: Yes. Fight. Yes.
1: So I'm the warrior now. And yeah, war's coming war is coming and um but the one thing that i realized through this whole thing and i remember my children were little and they said to me um you know once once i had divorced from their father um they said mommy why don't you love daddy anymore and i looked at them and i said i still love daddy i said but love just gets bigger and bigger. And now my love is so big that I can love more people and daddy too. Wow! And, and, you know, it was interesting because I saw their faces go from concern to like, Oh, love gets bigger, you know? And it, it was kind of like that moment where their fear had been changed yeah. to, okay, maybe this isn't such an awful thing, you know, that has happened. Maybe there's hope.
0: And so for, for, for young kids to have that.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm not saying that it was easy for them because it wasn't. You know, divorce is never, ever easy for children. Um, change isn't easy. And, you know, when, when you're struggling with your own emotions and then you're trying to manage children and their emotions, that can be really tricky and really hard. And you try your best to shield them, but you don't, you're not always able to keep, all of the arrows away from them, no matter how hard you try to shield them. They, they do get hurt in the process and they develop their own story, right? Because we all have our own path. We all have the path that we are here to, to live and, and they have theirs too. Kahil Gibran, one of my favorite authors, um, has this poem about children that I love. I just love it. and. He says, um, and I won't, I won't quote the whole thing. He says, um, our children are not our children. Our children are life's longing for itself. And although they come through us, they belong not to us. Mm. And it goes on to say, they live in the house of tomorrow, which we can never visit, not even in our dreams. It's such a great poem, and um, and I refer to it a lot.
0: Wow, oh, well, I'd love to put a link for that in in the show notes as well, so people could. Re- oh
1: sure, yeah, That's- I'll I'll share that with you. Yeah, for, I definitely will share that with you.
0: So okay, this is I mean now we're like in a movie here, so we're. <laughs> where's this movie going next?
1: (laughs) I know, right? So yes, you know, I continued to search for love and happiness in all the wrong places, you know, sacrificing my life's purpose, forgetting about my passion and even not knowing what I was passionate about because for such a long time, my happiness was based on making everybody around me happy. So in the mistaken name of love and obligation and expectation, I continued to get into relationships that I thought were best for me. You know, now I was a single mom, right? I was focusing really on, you know, what was I going to do to take care of my children, right? Now they were my number one priority. And I was now the sole provider for our family. So I had probably 10 plus years of experience as a kitchen and bath designer. I um, had worked for some home builders. I had some training and apprenticeship and in designing and selling. And as an interior designer, you know, I decided to venture out on my own and start my own business. And, And that's what I did. My children were four and six years old. And, um, I just, I started putting all of my work together and I started knocking on doors and asking people if I can, you know, help them design whatever it was that they needed, their homes, their businesses. And it slowly started to work, right? I, I started putting myself out there. I really wanted to be a stay at home mom. Um, I did have other offers to work for other companies at the time. One was Azon. Um, Azon had, had offered me a position as um, in their marketing department where I would be traveling every other weekend, which would have aligned with the visitations you know, rights. And I would have been meeting people and traveling to fun places. I would have gotten a great office and a good 401k package and benefits and insurance. But I asked them about um, their flex time because I really wanted to be able to be home with my children when they got on the bus and when they got home from school and they said you know that really hadn't worked out for them very well in the past Um, and they were asking minimum 40 hours a week and i thought i just couldn't see how that was going to work for me taking care of my children and being the best support i could for them at a time now when their life has changed absolutely so you know I, at the time, had been doing a lot of reading, again, my spiritual books, and Marianne Williamson um, had published this book that I had read. And she said, when you have a decision to make, sit and hold each decision in your palm and just take a breath and visualize each one. And so my decision was work for Azon, 401k package, great insurance benefit package, beautiful office, big window, lots of travel, meeting fun people, or going out on my own. And I had never done that before. I didn't really know what it looked like, but it probably looked like being able to be there with my children because it would be working from home, doing something I was passionate about and something I really enjoyed doing. Um, But there was a lot of unknowns, so that could be scary, right? Outside my comfort zone, something known versus something unknown. But instead of getting in my head about it, I wanted to feel it in my heart. So I did that. I sat and opening up my own design business was the one that resonated with love, peace, and happiness for me. The other one, not so much. So, that was my decision to go out on my own, start my new business, start knocking on doors, and pursue that career and interestingly enough, a year later is when Azon went out of business.
0: Wow, wow, you made the right choice
1: and i I didn't know that then, right, so it's just kind of interesting how the universe shows up and supports us when you know we think we're making the right decision in our head you really need to pay attention and focus to what's happening in our body because our bodies don't lie.
0: Wow, 100%. So
1: again, I was a single mom and I really didn't want my children to grow up the way I grew up in a house with a single mom. And, you know, her just that vision of having her try to struggle to raise us, being lonely, trying to find relationships. Um, You know, I didn't want that for my kids. So in my mind, I wanted to find someone who would be a good dad. And I was determined to look for someone, a partner um, that could provide that for them. And soon enough, I met another single parent looking for the same thing. And here's the problem. When you enter a relationship out of need, it's destined to fail because you're not entering out of a place of love. Need and lack are always associated with fear. So I was entering a relationship out of a hole inside of me that I was looking to be filled by somebody else, right? Because I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I didn't want to be like my mother. And love and fear are polar opposites. They they can't coexist. So you're not going to be kind of in love, kind of in fear. You're either one or the other, right? So this new relationship that I had entered into had all of the outward signs of perfection. And there was something missing. Love, right? Both of us had entered this relationship out of fear. Fear of being alone. Fear of not being enough. And soon it became apparent that everything started to unravel. You know, the dating process was fun and great. We got married very quickly because, again, we were both in need and in fear and looking for the other person to kind of set the boat right, right? We wanted to be, you know, be happy and be safe but I still didn't understand what was happening and it took several years of marriage counseling again, but fast forward five years later, enter divorce number three. And you know, it all came crashing down.
0: So while this was happening, are you maintaining your spiritual side? Are you still doing the reading and are you progressing in that? Yep.
1: I am still doing that. I'm still facilitating A Course in Miracles study groups out of my home at the time, actually. Um, so still really trying to understand this fear versus love thing. And I, you know, again, I thought I had been making all of the right decisions. I thought I was coming from a place of love, but I didn't understand it, right? I just didn't get it. I was completely duped, you know, I, and I, I had hit that wall so hard. That I lost hope. I really, at that point in my life, I had lost hope. Um, and when you lose hope, you enter despair. And when you're in despair, it's not far from slipping into that place of dark depression.
0: And did you hit that?
1: I did. I hit that. Um, a lot of people refer to that as their dark night of the soul. Yes. And um, boy, I was there. I was right there. And uh, at that time, I had given up my design business to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, so now I had nothing. I knew I had to leave the relationship. You know, even at the advice of the counselor that we were seeing, um, he said, "You know, you really need to leave this relationship. It's not. It's not healthy for you, and it's not healthy for the children." And, and of course, you know, my number one priority was my kids. So I said, you know, I, I don't really want to disrupt my children again. And the marriage counselor said, you either disrupt them or they're probably going to be damaged for the rest of their life. So those are my choices. So I did. I ended up leaving the relationship and um, I was just so upset with everything. I mean, I, I had given up everything and I really felt like, the universe had lied to me. You know, I was into my spirituality. I was trying to make all the right decisions. I, I just got to a place in my life where I was angry. You know, the Cinderella story was a, a lie. Um, I stopped believing in everything. Um, all of my hard work, trying to please others, sacrificing what I wanted, not even knowing really what I wanted, really more concentrating on what does everybody else want. Because, you know, I thought if I made them happy that I would be happy, that wasn't working out. So, you know, I got to that point where I thought, you know, life just, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I still had my Course in Miracles, but even that seemed kind of meaningless to me. You know, I was at the point where Course in Miracles talks about an illusory world that we're all in. And I thought, well, if this is an illusion and there's no happy ending, what's the point? You know really what's the point I had reached my bottom and I I didn't I couldn't see a point but you know the funny thing about being at the bottom is that there's only one way to go from there (laughs) and that's up right (laughs) so you know people say that you have to hit the bottom and you know people don't understand what does that mean I have to hit the bottom I hit the bottom and I hit the bottom hard. and I stayed there for a while, and i'll tell you how it felt. It was dark, it was feelingless. I was like almost numb to everything um, and it felt heavy. It felt like there was these chains on me that I just walked around with everywhere I went. I was exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. I would lay in bed for hours and just toss and turn and the worry would just fill my mind. Um, I could, I could barely get out of bed. And if if it wasn't for my kids and having to get up and get them off to school and, and pretending to be okay and put on that happy face for an hour while I got them off to school. I mean, it was, it was a hard thing to do, but that I would do that in the morning and then I'd go back to bed and pull the covers up over my head. And I just wish for the day to be over. Um, I didn't know how I was going to support myself. I I didn't even know if I would be able to get my business back. Um, And, you know, at that time, my son had just started middle school. My daughter had just started high school. They had a lot of changes going on in their lives. And I had no way of providing for them. And I was barely even thinking about how I was going to provide for them because I could barely take care of myself.
0: So how did you get out of this?
1: Well, there's a quote from A Course in Miracles that says, Miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. They're performed by those who temporarily have more for those who temporarily have less. Hmm. And at that moment, temporarily, I had less. But I was fortunate and grateful for the generosity and care that was given to me by a few people who showed up really big in my life and i'll tell you their love and their support ignited a spark inside of me and it was really a small little spark at that time but it was enough to change the way i looked at life Um, but again i was in that dark place for months and if it weren't for those people that just kept showing up and kept showing up, even though I said, go home, leave me alone. I don't want your help. I don't need your help. You know, but they kept showing up because they knew I did. I really did need their help, but I, I just couldn't even ask for it at that time in my life because I had shut down completely. So um, their love and their support really ignited a spark inside of me. And it changed the way I started looking at life. It really did. Instead of looking for love outside of myself, that little spark started filling myself up with love. And from that point forward, my life was forever changed. It was surrendering, really, is what finally opened the door. You know, you think that when you say I surrender, it's a sign of weakness. But actually, surrendering is one of the greatest things you can do.
0: And it sounds, Terry, like for the first time, after all of this that you've gone through, and, and, it, and it seems like everything was really purposeful to get you to where you were, but for the right. first time ever, now you had the self-love that you may not have had before, right?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, even though I had been a student, and a teacher of A Course in Miracles for several years at that point, the lessons finally kicked in with the experience that I had of letting go. And I realized in that moment that happiness was my only function. And up until that that time, happiness wasn't even a thought in my head. I had gone from the victim to the survivor to the warrior and now I was just choosing happiness.
0: Man. And that again, people hear the word happiness, but if if you haven't been through some of this or haven't been somehow luckily enough to understand it or be taught at a very young age, it just sometimes it takes life experience to get to that point. And some people never find it.
1: Exactly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I I started looking at, Everything I had learned, all of the wonderful books that I had read, all of the experiences I had, everything started to make sense. It was like this light bulb went on. I had like these aha moments like, oh, that's what they've been talking about. And I started rebuilding my life really with gratitude. That's what it was. I just, I thought of three things I was grateful for every day before I got out of bed. and. Slowly, but surely, I built my business up. I started facilitating my Course in Miracles study groups again. And I entered into another relationship, learning more lessons about love and friendship and gratitude and really what it meant to be truly empowered. Because I think what happens is when you stop looking for that person to come and rescue you when you when you stop looking for prince charming something happens inside of you and the only place left to go is in here and you become empowered
0: wow isn't that the truth and in so many ways i mean that you you hear stories um you know it could be a relationship it could be your 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 work it could be anything but when you stop searching for it, that seems to be the time that it actually comes to you.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I started facilitating workshops. I started helping others choose love. I started inspiring others that had lost hope. And until that, until that time, it was all about me, 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 you know, it was like, how come, How come these all this thing, all these things out here aren't making me happy? How come this relationship isn't making me happy? How come, you know, the world isn't returning all of its gifts to me? And now I was showing up saying, How can I be of service? Right. And that's it. That's where the magic happens when you realize that whatever gifts you have, if you show up, in a place of being of service, of sharing your gifts with others, the universe responds, right? Because now I'm showing up in a place of abundance. You know, anytime you choose gratitude, you have something to be grateful for. So you're shifting your perception from being in a place of lack to being in a place of abundance. And now the universe will respond with more of that. Right? So, And that's what was happening. You know, I I started facilitating workshops, my business, I slowly built it up. People started reaching out to me, asking about my success and my mindset. They wanted me to come and speak for their groups, for their rotary clubs, for, you know, whatever they were doing. You know, the word was, and I wasn't promoting myself. I was just being happy. I was just showing up in this place with this new mindset. And so I I shared my story with anyone who wanted to listen. I would speak to groups and life continued to teach me like it does. And through another marriage. And, and in the meantime, my brother um, had contracted the AIDS virus, which he had had for several years, but had gotten really bad. He healed from that. And then he had another eight years of being really healthy, but then it came back again. So he ended up uh, taking his life. So he committed suicide during this time. But we had had some amazing conversations back and forth. So I was just learning and learning and learning so much more about love in so many different ways. Um, and again, another divorce. So divorce number four. Now I'm up to. Um, but this time was different. You know, I, my foundation was built on love. And I wasn't looking for anyone to complete me. And I I hadn't actually been looking for anyone to completely when I entered into that, that marriage, I just wanted to share my love with somebody. And again, you know, I think relationships are in your life, maybe for a lifetime. Um, But sometimes once they serve their purpose, you have to just love them and let them go. You know, and then and love just gets bigger. It just gets bigger. That's what love does. True love just gets bigger. So I can honestly say that, you know, with all of the relationships I've had, I have nothing but love and compassion and gratitude for everyone that has been in my life to, to be there, to support me. I hope somehow I've changed their life in a positive way and I've been able to support them in some way. Um, but again, you know, I, I just wanted to share my love and my happiness and my gifts with the world. And I wasn't afraid anymore. So that was the difference.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Do you feel that you have beat all of those past things of fear, victim, um, unworthiness? I mean, is that gone? Like once you shed it, do you feel like that's gone? Or are there still hints of that that may peek in sometimes that you have to Push away, and I'm just trying to help people that might be listening. That said, hey, yeah, I, I beat something, but right. I feel some of it coming back. How do you, you know, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I would say that you know, you always have an opportunity to choose love, and um, even though you might be experiencing a, a situation where you're feeling particularly strong in your sense of self, in your sense of being filled with love the universe is still there doing what it's doing. We're still here with people who have a lot of egos that are Mm fear-based. So you're still going to be in situations where someone is going to show up in your life from a place of fear, right? And unless you are vigilant for your own mind wandering, um, you might get pulled into their drama, right? Because it's all lessons for us to be learning at every moment. And a couple of things that I've learned over the years is your opinion of me is none of my business.
0: Wow. Powerful.
1: Because everybody's opinion of you is a projection of their fears. And honestly, it is none of your business, right? Um, People are all struggling with their own worries, their own fears. They're trying to master their own mindset, or they don't even know that it's there to be mastered. So I would say that, You know, it's a constant effort. And, you know, there was one point in my life where I had read the entire book, Of Course in Miracles, and I thought, I got this, you know, I know how to create happiness in my life. But then, you know, you get that client that's upset for some reason, and they, they seem to be upset with you, and you take it personally, right? But it has nothing to do with you, and how do you master that? You have to go back to a practice, to some type of spiritual practice. And for me, my spiritual practice is meditation every morning, yoga. You know, I've learned to do that, my Course in Miracles. And, you know, for some people, it might be their church or their religious practice, you know, whatever it is that they've found that gives them that sense of being filled with self-love. But it's important to show up big in the world and be responsible for the energy that you're bringing into a space. Because the second you enter a room, everybody feels it, right? I mean, we're all energy. Love is energy, fear is energy, and there's only two choices at at every moment. And we have 60,000 thoughts a day, right? So with those 60,000 thoughts, if you're not always choosing love, if you're choosing fear, you're creating your reality based on those thoughts. That's what I try to do. That's what I try to put into my daily practice. And people say, Oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing that, you know, you you meditate every day or you, you know, you do these things. Like, how do you do it? And it's like, well, honestly, how do I not do it? That's what I say. Because if I'm not taking charge of my life and consciously creating it, I'm going to be dragged around by someone else's. Creation of their life, and it's usually going to be by fear. Something that I'll be engaging with that's fear-based. Wow,
0: this is so important and, and just so enlightening, really. Um, and I, I talk about a lot of this kind of thing a lot, right? But right, your story, just seeing the journey and how it all came together, and now you're at this wonderful place of, of offering it back. You know, being of service, as you said, and that that's a big one i mean that that's a real big one i i've heard that before um and didn't really understand it until about a year ago what it really really means to be of service it comes with no right.
1: conditions no, no con- conditions
0: no conditions and when you could do right. that that's when you st- start to see the the law of re- uh reciprocity right? right where it comes back and in in ways that you couldn't imagine so yeah. right yeah. Because doors
1: open that weren't even there before. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. So, you know, I look at it like this, you know, when when my fourth marriage ended, again, I had entered that place of unknown uncertainty, right? And you have a choice. You can either be crushed by the waves of inevitable change. Or what I like to imagine is I grab my surfboard, right? And I, it's my surfboard of love and I just jump on it and I start riding the wave because it's, it's a choice, right? And you've got to navigate the waters at every turn. You have to be conscious of choosing, you know, choosing love, choosing love every time the waves come and you'll get to that place you want to be. And at that time, my business was growing and thriving my friendships were more sincere. The more I gave, the more I had to give, you know, which is also a part of being of service, you know, not being afraid of, you know, thinking that if I give, I, I won't have anything left to give, but that's not how it works. The more you give, the more comes in through other ways and the more you have to give, right? And, and I know that I went through the last recession we had. Um, and at that time, I had already gone divorce. I had purchased my house because my business was doing so well and I had both kids in college. So I had a lot of bills, you know, and being a parent, I'm sure you're familiar you know, I had the car payments, the insurance payments, our family insurance payments, because I had my own business going. So, and all of a sudden there was this recession that hit and, um, nobody was designing anything, right? Cause everybody was holding onto their money, like afraid to spend money and I thought oh no and of course I went into that place of of familiarity where I remember that feeling of losing hope and I started worrying how am I going to pay for my mortgage how am I going to support my children how am I going to do all these things and for a moment I thought about getting in bed and pulling those covers over my head and I thought wait the last time I was here what got me out gratitude three things I'm grateful for. And I remember at the time the sun was shining. I said, okay, grateful for the sun. Um, I had a cup of tea in my hand and I loved my tea. And I was like, okay, I like this tea. I'm grateful for this cup of tea. And I was looking out my window and there was these two squirrels that were playing in the yard and it kind of made me smile. And I said, I'm grateful for that. And that was it. That was all I could be grateful for at the time. Um, But that was enough. Because it had changed my mindset from lack to having abundance. Just those three things gave me abundance. So from fear to love, that's it. It's, it's a trick, but it works every single time. And I thought, no one's buying my services right now. What can I do to give my services away? So there was this this company called A Room to Heal that I always wanted to work with, but I was so busy with my design business, I never really had time. So I called them up and I said, who needs a room? I I have a lot of time and I can design lots of rooms right now. So I started doing that. Um, I started doing Make-A-Wish. I started designing rooms for kids for the Make-A-Wish program. And I started getting my contractors involved and my artistic painters involved and everybody I knew, you know, I said, come on, let's donate all of our time and our materials. You know, nobody's buying anything from us. So let's just create these great rooms. And then of course, the universe responds, you know, I'm showing up from a place of abundance. And pretty soon my phone started ringing and my business started building back up again. And I was fine during the whole recession. And not only was I fine, I was better than fine. And my business just really started booming and started doing really, really well. So, you know, it, I ended up, you know, surviving the recession. I put both of my children through college and I finally met a wonderful man, which I share a loving spiritual partnership with in our marriage. And and that was, you know, that was the difference between the other marriages I had entered in before they were more of the traditional sense, and this was very consciously created in our vows that we, the whole purpose of our marriage, was to build a spiritual partnership so that we would both help each other grow, and in with a, a spiritual partnership instead of you know a contract based in fear, which I think a traditional marriage is. So, you know, I've been through being the victim, the survivor, the warrior, the conqueror, and now I I just choose happiness. Wow,
0: Terry. This is amazing. Uh, Just, just amazing. You have dropped so much wonderful, um, enlightening, empowering, inspiring information today. Um, But I do have a couple of, of just couple more questions before we let you go. Sure. What about mentors? Did mentors play a role in this journey? Because so many of us, um, I know I have right now, you know, three mentors for different things, uh, probably more than that, Mm -hmm. um, including my parents and whatnot. But did mentors play a role in all this?
1: Absolutely. You know, and, and I would say some of the mentors that people might be familiar with, I mean, number one, A Course in Miracles, I think that really was my awakening point. Um, Deepak Chopra, amazing, really. He's got the 21 day free meditation series. He's got one going on right now, which is great. It's called Hope in Uncertain Times. And I know it's helping a lot of people right now with what's going on. The Dalai Lama, of course. Um, Wayne Dyer, you know, I went to um, one of his workshops right before he passed. Uh, Louise Hay, who was amazing. Neil Donald Walsh, Gary Zukoff, um, Seth, which I don't know if you're familiar with Seth information, but that was just tra- um, channeled by someone in a Wego, right? Which is amazing. Unbelievable. Um, the Abraham group, and I went on a, a cruise with the Abraham group to Alaska, and that's a group that's channeled by, um, by this woman, her last name is Hicks, and Rumi, who's amazing, Kehil Gibran, Eckhart Tolle, Yes. Don Miguel Ruiz, David Hawkins has this great book called Power versus Force, amazing. Um, Stuart Wilde has some great meditations, which I've like had some amazing experiences with. And of course, you know, my relationships have been some of my greatest mentors, my greatest lessons, and my children. My children, you know the the people in your life that you you have to show up for every day, and that unconditional love, and the people that you want to be there for and support. And I've also had valuable, insightful messages from my mother, my father, and my brother, even now after they've passed, which is another story. Uh, but but so powerful. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, and that's all been the reason why I've gone into this journey. Um, and what I'm, I'm doing today.
0: Incredible. And, and that is being a life coach, right? That's your, that's your day to day. Tell us how you're helping people on a daily basis. Are you doing a lot of these zoom calls?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not doing so many Zoom calls right now, but I am going to be getting into to doing that um, in the next couple of days while people are in their homes right now. I think that's important to, you know, continue that sense of community and just to show up like that. Um, but, you know, as you know, I was um, doing my interior design business. My interior design business was thriving at the time, and I had to make a choice because I was also, you know, building my life as a life coach, kind of inadvertently. It was just something I loved doing. So I was facilitating workshops on the weekends. I was um, taking Toastmaster classes so I could be a better speaker when people would ask me to speak at their events. Um, I became a certified yoga instructor because I realized how important yoga was to me, and I wanted to share that with others. Um, And I had so many balls in the air. I was burning the candle at both ends that I, I had to make a choice between my interior design business and my life coaching business. So I ended up giving my interior design business to my senior designer, um, because I knew how hard it was for me to build that. And um, and I just said, here is a gift, and you know, now I'm going to go in this other direction. And I love what I'm doing. I love helping people to design their lives. I realized that when I was designing their homes for them and helping them, create spaces in their homes, I would always inadvertently talk to them about their mindset. And I would always be saying, well, try this meditation, or let's set up this yoga room for you, or let's create a meditation space here. Because I realized how important that is to have, you know, to to be able to choose happiness and be able to realize that there is a choice between love and fear. Because I didn't realize that in my younger days. And I just, I want to be able to help people to realize that there's a choice and that their 60,000 thoughts a day are creating the life that they're living and, and realizing that what they're thinking and what they're doing and being is creating their reality. Wow.
0: Terry, amazing stuff. We have to have you back because, uh, this is just, you know, I'm learning a lot today and through your story. And I know you have so much more to share, but, um, you know, thank you so much for, for spending the time. If people want to reach you, what is the best way to reach out? And I know you also have a, a Facebook group that's um, I do. Really popular too.
1: I do. I have a, a Facebook group that I created this year called create 2020 clarity. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name, uh, Terry Ludwig and it's hyphen Manders. Um, and that's where you can find me on Facebook you can jump over to my fi- private Facebook group, but I'm sharing a lot right now in my main Facebook group as well, just to help people who are going through, you know, this this situation in the world right now, this crisis that everyone has so much fear. I'm trying to help them to realize that they have a choice too, even in this, you know, to stay informed, but they have a choice between choosing fear or love. and And that's going to really show up big in their life right now, their decisions and their choices that they make. I also have a website, terryjoeludwig.com. You can find me there and learn a little bit more about how you can work with me or reach me. Um, so feel free to, uh, to reach out.
0: Great, and we'll put all the links in the show notes to make it easy for people to connect. Okay, well, thank you so much. Before I let you go, I have one last question that I ask every guest, and you still have a lot of life to live, but at the end of the day, what kind of mark do you want to leave here? What what do you want your legacy to be?
1: I would like my legacy to be to help people realize that what they think is creating their reality. And if you choose love at every moment, you truly can create the life of your dreams, one thought at a time.
0: Terry Ludwig, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real family. I'm so glad we made this happen and you take care
1: thank you roger great to be here i appreciate it have a great day
0: thanks for tuning into american real be sure to visit our website AmericanReel.tv, or search for us on itunes or youtube for past episodes while you're there please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show i am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support if you'd like to be part of our inner circle want one-on-one coaching check out the american real learning academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you we also have a new facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world if you want to go even further maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast contact me today to see if we can help you can reach me through instagram or facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.